Alrighty, appreciate it. Romans chapter number one. Let's go there. I'm going to kind of try to walk around like I'm in a landmine field and not get stuck on a marshmallow. It seems like no matter where I go, if you have a youth anything, something gross is going to happen. It just seems like it's required. I tell people you don't have to be funny with teenagers. You just have to be gross, and, and usually they're good then. Probably the two grossest thing I've ever seen at a youth conference. Have you ever seen them do the, and I would not do this. I've never done this. Have you ever seen where they take the Happy Meals from McDonald's? And they get all the kids pumped about it. And they, they set out the hamburger and the french fries and the Coke and the Sunday. And, hey, we're going to have an eating contest. And, of course, man, that looks good. So two guys come running up, and they just get ready to start. Wait a minute. And then they bring the blender out. How many of you have seen this before? Put all of it in a blender, all of it in a blender. I'm talking about the Coke, the hamburger, the fries, the uh, ice cream, and then have them have it, drink it. How many would be willing to do that, honestly? Well, it probably depends on what price, right? I mean, what's offered? You know, that's it. If it's a big enough. Worst mistake I ever made it at one of our youth rallies was trusting two of our teenage boys. And I... I should, especially now that I look back in hindsight, I was just so busy. You know how it is when you're putting one of these things on, trying to get everything together. It's just insane. And I kept having these two idiot boys that kept kind of say, "We got a skit. We got a skit." Well, what is it? Well, we want to surprise you. And I'm, I know I should have known better than that. And they just kept bugging me. And finally, I just like out of frustration. All right, okay, just be ready. Here's the slot. And uh, it was those two biggest idiots in my youth group, and and one of them. Uh, how do I say this, was uh, challenged a bit when it comes to personal hygiene. I don't, I'm not sure the kid owned a toothbrush, honestly. I don't know. It just So all of a sudden I get up there in the middle of this, and I'm the youth pastor. I'm not the pastor. I'm just the youth pastor at this time. <laughs> I'm like, okay, uh, next time, okay, guys, wait, we got a skid. I don't know what these two guys are going to do. I told them they got like three minutes. So I go over and stand off the side, and I just stand there and stand there, and like nothing happens. I'm about ready to come back up, and finally one of them wanders out on the platform, comes out and just stands there like this. And he's got a string around his neck, and he's got a little sign that says milk machine, and he's holding a cup like this, and he's got his hand out. And he just stands there for like 30 seconds. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is the lamest thing I should, you know. Then the other boy, finally after 30 more seconds, I'm getting ready to come up again, and the door opens, he comes wandering by. Here's this dude, milk machine, cup, hand out like this. He comes wandering by, kind of passes him, turns around, comes back, looks him over, pulls a quarter out, sticks it in his hand, grabs the cup. And this kid that lacked hygiene, the entire time he's been standing up here, has had about a quart of milk in his, in his mouth. He leans over and goes, and fills the cup. And the other dude looks at it, looks at it, looks around, and then drinks it. <laughs> Oh, my God. I mean, I, I almost barfed right there in the middle of my own. And, and <laughs> you'd have to know my dad, but uh, my dad's a very, very old school, conservative, very conservative. And all of a sudden, when that happened, he's sitting in the back. And I'm, I don't want to look that way. <laughs> but I finally do it. He's looking over at me like this. And I think, Monday's staff meeting is not going to be a good experience for me. But... Anyway, I guess overall that was pretty mild, spitting marshmallows compared to some of the gross things that could happen at a youth rally. I appreciate uh, you showing that 
uh, presentation about 9-11. I mean that. I, I leaned over and told him, thank you for doing that. You know, I forget. We all do. It's been 15 years. It means anybody that's younger than 15 wasn't born when that happened. And you need to see it. You need to see it. You need to understand it. I don't know what the rest of you felt, but every time I see a clip of any of this, the initial reaction in my heart is just utter anger. I'm just, I'll be honest with you, it just makes me mad, still makes me mad. And uh, this whole idea about these athletes deciding that they're not going to stand during our national anthem, I'm going to tell you something. If I owned one of those teams, they'd be unemployed the next day. Okay? I mean, they're cashing, they're cashing their checks and making their money and living better than most of us can ever dream of because of men and women who died to give freedom. If you want to protest something, there's a lot of ways you can protest it that doesn't involve the national anthem and the American flag. And you know what? You do have freedom, but you don't have the freedom to destroy my freedom. I said you don't have the freedom to destroy my freedom. Don't get brainwashed in this nonsense that when you're American, you've got a freedom to do anything you want to do. No. You know, listen, let me just, I'm not going to preach on this. First half, do your, do, this is why you ought to listen in history class. Okay? First half of the 20th century, 1900 to 1950s, you do a study on any of the speeches that are made. And you know what you hear in the political realm and in, in, the, in, in your local governments? Anytime somebody speaks, you know what you hear? You hear about your civil responsibilities, your civil duties. That's the phrase, civil duties, civil duties, civil duties. Then the last 1960s on, you know what you get to hear, all you hear about? Civil rights. Civil rights. It's amazing to me. We got a generation all talking about their rights, but won't talk about their responsibilities. Well, the nation that handed you this great thing knew something about their responsibilities, their duties. And uh, with civil rights come civil responsibilities. And so, anyway, I'm starting to bore you. You're glazing over. <laughs> Let's see if I can tell another funny story. All right. I want to preach to you, okay? Romans chapter 1. I'll give you this thought. And, boy, that fits in right with what we're going to preach this morning. We're going to try to keep us right on track time-wise. So I'll preach fast. You listen quick. And, and I want to leave you with something, all right, young people? We need to stand up, stand up for Jesus. I, I mean that. People are kneeling down during the Pledge of Allegiance, during the National Anthem. But let me say this. There's a lot of Christian young people that are kneeling down. You won't stand up for the things that you ought to stand up for. Now, that's not, that's not everybody. But I want to challenge you from the Word of God. In Romans chapter 1, verse number 15, So as much as in me is, I am ready to, be, to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, if you have a pen, you ought to underline two words or circle two words in verse number 16. Here they are, not ashamed, not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I want to challenge you in this area. Heavenly Father, help me as I preach, dear Lord. I pray, dear God, that you give us the attention and the hearts of the young people. And, Lord, may something stir. May the sweet Holy Spirit of God uh, be given liberty and freedom. And, Lord, may we desire and want to hear from you this morning, dear God. Help us to stand up for you, Lord. You weren't ashamed to die on the old rugged cross for us. 
Help us not to be ashamed of you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I had an interesting question to ask me here uh, at a youth camp. They had a little bit of a question answering time that, that, this summer. And I thought very thought-provoking question, especially from a teenager. Stood up and said, Brother Ross, if you could go back and maybe do one thing different as a teenager than you did, what would it be? And you know what? I think we need to be transparent with our young people. Hey, none of us did it perfect. By the way, by the way, let's be patient with these young people. I mean, folks, listen to me. It, it, from 12 to, to, to 18, that's not an easy road. Okay, let's be reminded. But at the same time, you know, young people, you can look back and those be years that you're proud of and, and thankful for and able to talk about. If you're not careful, you may have to spend the rest of your life ducking questions about those years. And, right. and, and you know what? I believe something. I believe I'm seeing across the country a lot of youth groups and a lot of young people kind of, t- kind of taking leaps and bounds. I mean, s- solid steps forward for the Lord. And they see which way the culture's going, their country's going, and you know what? They're not just idly standing by ignoring it. They're standing up and saying, it's time for our generation to stand. It's time for our generation to stand up for the Lord. And I told them, I said, you know what? I had a little window of time, probably from the time I was in junior high. And, and, and I'm patient with junior hires. You know, you're still trying to figure out everything. But even up in the ninth grade and probably even going into tenth grade some, the one thing that I regret, preacher, is that I wasn't more bold for the Lord Jesus Christ. I passed up a lot of opportunities. Uh, let me just put it plain. Too many times I was ashamed of being a Christian. Too many times I was ashamed of the Lord. Too many times I didn't speak up. And you know what? At some point during, during your journey through your teenage years, you kind of, at some point, just got to become ashamed of being ashamed. I mean, you're going to be ashamed of the Lord, or at some point you're going to be ashamed of being ashamed. And it's not that I didn't have a heart for people. It's not that I didn't want to witness to folks, and it's not that I didn't want to stand up for the Lord, but some of it was my personality. I was a bit of an introvert, and some of it was just, you know, I think all of the insecurities that come with youth. But can I say this? I think a lot of times during those years, you you care way too much about what the wrong kind of people think. And you know what? It kind of binds you, and, and you kind of walk around with these chains and, and you know what? You're not really who you want to be, and you're not who you know the Lord wants you to be. And I, I, I felt that often during that stretch of time in my teenage years. But I remember coming to a youth rally like you're at today. And I remember a man preaching a message on the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a handful of times in your life, you'll hear a, a man that has the ability and, and the touch of God to describe Calvary in such a way where you just feel like you're standing there watching Jesus. You're sitting there watching Jesus die. And it was one of those messages where God got in it. And maybe my heart was ready and right to receive it. I don't know what, but everything came together. And I felt like that for about an hour and 15 minutes, I watched what Jesus suffered. I watched all that he did. I watched him die for me. And at the end of that message, I came forward and I knelt down and I said, Jesus... You were not ashamed to watch this young people. He was not ashamed to hang naked on a cross. He wasn't ashamed to be so uh, tormented and tortured and beaten that the Bible says that his visage was so marred that you didn't even know it was a human being looked like a piece of meat, ground up hamburger hanging by three nails on a cross and all that he did for me and all that he did for you and he wasn't ashamed to do it. And then I thought to myself, how can I spend the rest of my life? I mean, am I going to be like this forever or am I going to make a decision? 
I mean, I'm going to be this when I'm 16, 17, 18, all through my 20s. Am I going to duck and dodge this thing? Or am I going to decide that I'm not ashamed? That I'm not going to be ashamed? I'm not going to be ashamed of the Lord. You know what? Listen, you shouldn't be ashamed if you're saved. Lost people ought to be ashamed that they're lost. They're the ones that ought to be ashamed, not us. How can I explain this? Well, I've got a sin to confess. Maybe I'll do it this way. Maybe not a sin, but maybe a lack of good judgment. I'm a Chicago Bears fan. Uh, do I have any Bears fans in here? Wow, I am really... Where? Somewhere? What, are you ashamed of it? Now, I married a girl from Wisconsin. I met her in Bible college. Married a girl from Wisconsin. After we got married, every single Thanksgiving, you know what we did? We loaded the wife, the babies. We went up to see the in-laws in Wisconsin. That was just our tradition. I mean, I wasn't getting out of that trip. They gave me that girl. I took her away from home. I was obligated from time to time to bring her back. Amen. Now, as a son-in-law, let me tell you what your job is, okay? When, at that age, you got the wife, you got the babies. You're just the driver, okay? You're just there to transport the wife and babies to the in-laws. And then they spend about 30 seconds saying hi and pretending to like you, and then they don't really care after that if you go stand in the corner the rest of the time. That's pretty much the way it is, okay? And so I'm in Oshkosh, outside of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, a little town called Berlin, Wisconsin. And there I am. And after a day or two, you know, I'm just antsy and... And we have Thanksgiving. Hey, that's great. And then Friday, and uh, I'm not going anywhere on Friday. Y'all can go fight that nonsense, but I ain't going. But about Saturday, I'm bored. And so when we packed to go to Wisconsin, every year when we packed to go to Wisconsin, I would make sure that I packed my, my Bears jacket. Big Bears head on the back of it, Chicago Bears across the top. My wife would always fuss at me. She said, what are you doing? I said, it might be cold up there. It's Wisconsin. It's things. It might be cold. Well, you, what are you doing? I'm, I'm packing a coat. That's what I'm doing. She said, well, you got more coats than that. I said, this one's warm. I like this one. And about Saturday, I'd be bored, nothing to do. And so I'd tell her, I'd say, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a drive. <laughs> and she'd say, I know where you're going. I said, you don't know anything. I'm just going go to I'm gonna go outlet mall. I'm going to go to the outlet mall. That's where I'm going to go. She's like, you hate outlet. I'm going to take a drive. You stay here with your parents. They don't care about me anyway, and I'll just take a drive. And you know where I went, and every year I got in that car, and I drove over to Oshkosh, and then I went north to Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I got out and I put my Bears jacket on. And for about four or five hours, I just walk around town. Because if you know anything about football, if you're a Bears fan, Green Bay Packers, they hate you. And if you're a Green Bay Packer fan, you know, you, they hate the Bears. We hate them. We hate them. I think, listen, I think the Antichrist is going to be a Green Bay Packer fan. I do <laughs> I'm not sure Brett Favre is not the Antichrist. I don't, I, if it's not him, it's Aaron Rodgers. I mean, one of those two guys will rise up in the end. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm walking around with this jacket. And you know what I'm doing? Honestly, I just got one goal, just to irritate the snot out of people. You know, I go to stores. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm telling you, unless you understand, you put that jacket on, you go down, down Green Bay, Wisconsin, I've got people beeping horns, guys swearing at me, you know. Giving me the finger, or either that, or they were telling me Jesus one way. I, I don't know if they were doing something. I mean, I'd go into stores and try to buy something. I went to a store and tried to buy something, and the little girls just watched me the whole time, like this, behind the register. She, I come up and I said, uh, Ring me up. 
And she said, nope. I said, what do you mean, nope? She says, I'm not, I'm not, I am not ringing these stuff up. I'm not, I'm not checking you out until you take your jacket off. I said, well, I ain't taking my jacket off. And she said, well, you take your jacket off or hit the door. I said, no, you've got a job to do. And about the time she calls the manager, manager comes over and he rings me up, but he's mad. And he said, now, now take your stuff and go and don't come back. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Hey, man, hey, why can't we take that attitude over into Christianity a little bit? Come on now. If you're not ashamed of whatever team you're for, and you'll go out and spend all that money on jerseys and T-shirts. And, and listen, why are, listen, are you saved? Are you a Christian? Then why would you be ashamed of it? Why would you be ashamed of it? I, I decided, number one, that I'm not going to be ashamed that I'm saved. I'm not going to be ashamed that I'm saved. I had a friend of mine that uh, became a missionary to Russia. His name is Dave Carney, and real good guy. I, I love Dave. Him and his wife, Diane, they went over there on the survey trip just to, to see it and take some pictures. And then they were going to come back and go on deputation. They wanted to kind of acclimate, see, spend some time with some missionaries that were already there. And so they went and spent some time with a guy that, um, that had a church in, in a little, little uh, city in Russia, little town, little village. And uh, he said the Sunday that me and Diane showed up, she, he said, you know, it's, we think everything's going to be like America, folks. It's not. The world's not like us. And, and they do things differently. But I'm talking about a Baptist church. I'm talking about a gospel preaching church. And here this man come up. The preacher gets up and he starts to preach. And he noticed, Brother Dave noticed that on the front row on this side, on the front row on this side, everybody that sat on the front row had white robes on. And he didn't know for sure if it was a choir or something going to go on. And, but it wasn't. What it was is those were the candidates that have come that day to be baptized. And so it was cold out. He said, I took kind of a light jacket. And he said, really, it wasn't a warm enough jacket. And he said, Russia, it was just cold. And he said, after the service and after the sermon, the pastor took his Bible and walked straight down the middle aisle. And as he did, the candidates on this side stood up and followed him down the aisle. And the candidates on this side stood up and followed him down the aisle. And he said, all of a sudden, I realized, looking around, they don't have a baptistry, not on the inside. And so he said he walked right out on the Main Street. Now, this church was located right on Main Street, and then Main Street went down, out to your left, through town, to a river. And so he walked, that preacher, can you picture this? He's got his Bible like this, and he's walking. And he's got 12, 15 Russian new converts behind him dressed in white robes, and they're walking right down the center of Main Street. And they walk all the way through town, and then they get to the river, and then he walks into that river. And Dave said, it was cold. I mean, it was cold. He walks down to that river, and they come in one at a time. You know why? Because the Bible says that you ought to be baptized, publicly baptized. Make a public profession. What's that all about? Why is baptism important? And by the way, there's probably some young people here. You've been saved, but you haven't been baptized. It's the first step of obedience. You know what? You can't take the second step, the third step, the fourth step until you take the first step. I'm just telling you, you're going to struggle in every other thing you're trying to do till you're obedient to the first thing that God's asked you to be obedient to. And so Dave was watching all of this, and he got down there, and he's standing beside the missionary's son who can speak English. And he's watching him be baptized, and he's cold. And he leans over, and he said, I was trying to be funny. And I leaned over, and I said to the missionary's kid, I said, Hey, I'm going to tell you what, when I get to Russia, I'll tell you the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to build an indoor baptistry. And he was just kidding, you know. Well, one of the Russian 
church members was standing beside them, and he knew a little bit of English, and he kind of kind of understood or thought he understood, so he leans over and whispers to the missionary's kid and, and asks what Dave said. And the missionary's kid uh, interpreted what he said and said something about, well, when he gets to Russia, he's going to build an indoor baptistry because it's so cold outside. And the Russian Christian steps away for a while and just watches the baptism and you can see he's thinking. And Dave said, I'm thinking, boy, I hope I didn't offend him. And then after a few minutes, he leans over to the missionary kid and he taps him on the shoulder and he says, uh, I, I need you to ask him a question. And he said, sure. He said this, why does he want to hide it? Why does he want to hide it? Now, I didn't come here today to preach against indoor baptistries. <laughs> Trust me, I'm glad we have one, brother, especially when I'm baptizing in November and December and January and February in Indiana. I, that's not the point. The question stands, though. Excuse me, young man, why do you want to hide then? Excuse me, young lady, why do you want to hide it? Are, are you going to spend your life ashamed of being a Christian? Number one, I'm not ashamed that I'm saved. Number two, I'm not ashamed to share the gospel. Everybody's going to make this decision at some point. People are dying and going to hell all around us. And you know what? Every young person, I promise you, almost without exception, struggles with this for a while. And it's a challenge for a while in your life because you know what? You know you're in good churches. You know the responsibility you have in sharing the gospel. You know that you're supposed to be a witness you're in soul-winning churches, and they encourage you to do it. And by the way, I'm going to tell you what. When I grew up in our church, we didn't have teen soul-winning. You know what? We didn't have teen soul-winning training. There's a lot of advantages that some of you have that we didn't have. But you know what? I remember as a teenager, I'd, I'd, I went to the public school until I was at the in, going into 11th grade. We didn't have a Christian school. I only got to finish two years. But you know what? I'd, I'd ride the school bus and I'd look around and the Holy Spirit a lot of times would convict me and say, you know what? You need to, you need to witness to that person. You need to share your testimony. You need to give them a gospel track. And, and I really struggled with that. And I think we all go through that. And I, I'm not picking on you. I'm not beating you up. I'm just saying at some point, you got to get ashamed of being ashamed. Okay tell you a story that I honestly I hate to tell I probably only told it a handful of times and I honestly I, I hate telling this story but let me tell you what it took in my life to kind of wake me up on this I was going into 10th grade was still in the public school there was a family they pick us up big giant long route we lived out in the in rural America and so the school bus would pick us up early and wander through all the back roads gathering the young people up and there was a family by the last name of Carrico that used to get picked up. Several kids in the family, seven, eight kids, would pull up in front of their house. Kind of, honestly, a poor situation. Kids would come out, run up to the bus, and here they come, all seven or eight of them, get on the bus. The oldest boy was a boy by the name of Jim, Jim Carrico. The Holy Spirit of God began to start talking to my heart about witnessing to Jim. He'd come back, he'd talk to me. Man, isn't it crazy? By the way, guys, isn't it nuts? We can talk about sports, we can talk about fishing, we can talk about hunting. And you know what? None of us seem to have any problem with that. But when it comes to talking about the Lord, man, I'd want to. And I, it's almost like I'm trying to get the words. And I'm I mean, this is crazy. Why is this so hard? And I kept putting it off. I'd always, you know, negotiate with the Lord. Well, I'll talk to him next week. I can talk to him tomorrow. 
And uh, so I kept putting it off and putting it off. And finally Christmas break came and we were out of school for a while. And I went my way. We did our thing. Everybody's enjoying themselves. And uh, Christmas break comes and goes. New Year's. School starts back up. First day of school back. Hallelujah. We all wander out to the bus. And going back to jail. You know, here we go. Pick us all up. Gather us up. Get in front of the Caracos house. Here comes all the kids, the line of kids, not much of a pep in their step. Everybody comes out, all, all of them come out, but Jim. Are you, are you hearing me? Are you listening to me, young people? All of them come out, but Jim. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, well, he's probably sick or whatever. And the kids come in, and they're real somber, and they sit down. And, and um, I finally leaned over to one of their brothers and said, uh, hey, is Jim sick? And he kind of looked at me like he was mad for a minute, and then he wouldn't talk to me. He just turned around like he was angry at me. And then uh, I leaned over, or uh, one of my other friends leaned over to me, kind of come up and said, hey, Jerry, didn't you hear? And I said, no, I didn't hear anything. By the way, thank God, days when we didn't have cell phones and all that stuff, I didn't hear anything. What He said, Jim went skating with some guys, ice skating, got into a part of a lake that wasn't frozen over very well, went down into the lake. He said, Jerry, Jim drowned I mean, he drowned two days ago. And I don't know how to explain, young people, at that moment, what I felt. I mean, if, if God would have taken a real sword and stuck it through my soul, I, it, I, don't, I don't know how else to explain it. You know, young people, I'm going to get to heaven one of these days. And I believe this with all my heart. And I don't like, that's what I say, I hate telling this story, but I believe the, the blood of that young man's on these hands right here. And it's almost like the Lord had to lean down from heaven and say, okay, is this going to be who you are? You spend your life walking past lost people. You spend your life using this excuse or that excuse. It's not my personality. I just don't have the gift. I'll do it tomorrow. I mean, how many, how many people are going to have to go to hell until you decide that you're going to be ashamed of being ashamed? You know what? Shortly after that, again, that's why I like these rallies. God uses these things. Shortly after that, we went to a youth rally or a youth conference. I don't remember what. And in that youth conference, I couldn't get Jim off my mind. And I came forward and I made some decisions. By the way, this is back when we didn't have team soul winning. But as a 15-year-old boy, I came home from that, that youth conference and I went in to talk to my dad. At that time, we had Thursday night men's visitation. And I said, Dad... Could I ask you something? He said, yeah. And I said, can I start going on Thursday night men's visitation? And he looked at me and he said, absolutely. The next Thursday night, I put a shirt and tie on, grabbed a New Testament. By the way, I didn't know anything much about how to take a Bible and show somebody how to be saved. All I knew is this. I could not continue to live the way I was. Now, if you can justify it somewhere in your heart, good luck. I mean, if you never hear convict, feel conviction about this, I'm going to tell you what, I'd be scared either... You're not saved or you've so quenched the Spirit's working in your life that you need to come to an altar. Listen, there's two times you ought to come to an altar. When God's speaking to you or when you haven't heard from Him for a long time to find out why. All right? And what I'm saying is this. Young people, listen to me. These idiots on TV are not ashamed to kneel publicly and defile the flag, and yet Christians everywhere are too ashamed to speak up for Jesus. I'll tell you one more story and I'll be done. In this matter of soul winning and winning the lost, some of the most courageous things that I've seen through my life, some of the most greatest acts of courage that I've ever seen in my life, 
I've seen young people do. And that's why I know you're capable of it. Youth workers, if we make one mistake, the greatest mistake we make with teenagers is underestimating them. They are capable of so much. When you decide, I mean, you make the decision, I'm going to tell you what, look out. Because they're just crazy enough to try anything. I was still in Bible college. We were in inner city Chicago ministries. And we were working weekends, and we reached this little girl, little petite girl. If any of you ever read the book, Stay in the Castle, Lydia in that book is the little girl that I'm going to tell this story about a different story. She made some decisions. As she began to come to church, began to become more dedicated to the Lord, got an amazing burden for souls. And by the way, church kids, listen to me. Lost mother, alcoholic dad, two sisters that mocked her every time she went to church. And you know what? That little girl came to church, got Jesus in her heart, changed her dress, changed her attitude, went to one of the toughest inner city uh, high schools in Chicago, dressed right, carrying a King James Bible, passing out gospel tracts. They used to call her the God girl. And you know what? She decided, I'm not going to be ashamed of the Lord. She wanted to go to camp, Spanish ministries there, and so we raised some money so she could go to camp, and she was gone for a whole week to camp. And the next Saturday, I met some of the workers that were there when she was at camp that helped there. I didn't go. I didn't go to Spanish camp. I was, I was working a job. couldn't go to help her or anything like that, but she went. And uh, Saturday, I ran, ran into some of the workers, and two or three workers all told me the same thing. They said, hey, that girl you sent to camp, you're not going to believe what she did at camp. And when you're a bus captain, <laughs> you don't want to hear that, okay, because it's like, oh, no, what'd she do at camp? And then I, I run into another one. Hey, that girl you sent to camp? You're going to believe what she did. I said, well, what'd you do? You, you need to ask her. And they kept saying that. All my, man, we got done Saturday, time to go visit. I jumped in my car. I drove to my bus route. I didn't go to visit regulars. I didn't go soul winning. I, run, I went right to Lydia's house. I knocked on the door. She came to the door. Yes, Brother Jenny. And I said, what'd you do? <laughs> she said, what, what? I said, what'd you do? Everybody's telling me you're going to believe what this little girl did at camp. So she came out and sat on the front porch, and she said, i got to tell you this story. And uh, the camp that they went to, there was actually two camps in one. There was a main entrance. You went this way, and there was a camp. You went this way, and there was a camp. And they rented out both camps. Sometimes if it was big enough, they'd use it all. The Spanish department just used one side. And then there was another secular camp going on over here. And there was this little small valley between them. And she said, Brother Jerry, all week long, she said the preaching was getting to me, and they were challenging us about sharing our faith and not being ashamed of the Lord and, and, and being a soul winner. And she said, every night when I go back to the cabin, she said, I'd stand outside the cabin and, and across that little valley, I could hear the girls in the dorms on the other side laughing and carrying on. And I'd sit out there and think, I wonder if they're lost. And she said, I did that Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, last night of camp, Friday night. And she said, I walked back to the camp. Finally, I just couldn't stand it. And she said, so I walked down through the woods in that little valley. And I'm just trying to picture this, okay? This girl's about this tall, little Mexican girl. And she walks through the, the valley, and she comes back up the other side, and she comes to the first dorm, girl's dorm that she sees. And she, they're in there having pillow fights and, you know what, doing whatever girls do in those. I, I don't know. I've never been in there. I'm very glad that I've never been in there. <laughs> but they're just in there being crazy. And she's, she knocks like this on the door. And you hear it kind of get quiet. She knocks again. And one of the counselors comes and opens the door. And here, out of the darkness, <laughs> you know, is this little Mexican girl, inner city girl. 
Did I, did I mention she has a lost mom? Did I mention her dad's a drunkard? Do I mention every time she goes to church, her two older sisters mock her and make fun of her, and there she stands outside that door. And she's telling me this story. And I said, what did you say? And she said, I said, hello. <laughs> and she said, the girl lady said, are you lost? And she's like, no, I, I'm actually over with the camp over there, and I've been listening to you, and it sounds like you're having a lot of fun. I wondered if, if the girls would like to hear a, a bedtime story before you put them to bed. And the lady's just looking at her like, and all the girls are looking, you know, nobody knows what to say. And finally some of the girls are like, yeah, bring her in, yeah. They grab all their pillows. They throw them on the floor. They make like this circle. And here comes this little Mexican girl out of the darkness, and she's standing in the middle of them. And she starts telling the story about how her family came to America and how she didn't know English and how she was just overwhelmed with all of the differences. And she said then after a while, there was a, a man that knocked on our door one day, and he was from a church. And my mom thought it was a Catholic church. She thought all churches were Catholic churches, so she let him, me go on the bus and didn't know she was going to an independent fundamental Baptist church. And she said, I went there, and she began to tell the story how she began to hear the preaching of the gospel, and she heard about a place called heaven, and she heard about a place called hell, and she heard about Jesus and what he'd done for her. And, and then she began, she said, Brother Jerry, as I was telling this, I was reliving it. And she said, tears were coming down my face. And I said, I told her, told those girls the greatest thing that ever happened to me, the best thing I've ever got in America is Jesus. And he saved me. And my life's never been the same. And I just have spent the last five, four nights over there listening to y'all wondering, do you know Jesus? Would you like to be saved because he loves you? And then she said when she got done, she said, I looked around and all the girls were crying and the counselors were crying. She said, I got down, just knelt down, and they all like crap. You know, girls are weird, okay, all right? <laughs> I mean, guys wouldn't do what girls do. Guys don't do this stuff, but they all do the, like the, they all come together and do like the girl huddle thing, you know, and they're, and they're all crying. And, and she leads them in the sinner's prayer, and they all, I mean, the counselors pray, the kids pray. They get up, they hug this girl, they want to know what her address is, thank you for coming over. And she said, Brother Jerry, I didn't feel like when I walked back, I didn't feel like I walked down the hill, I felt like I just walked right across on air. And, and she said, it, it was, I want to do this for my whole life. And I really believe something about the young ladies and young men in this room. No matter where you are with God, I mean this, if you're saved, down deep in your heart, you want to be that person. You want to have that boldness. You want to be able to tell a story like that. One time before you die, you want to say, you know what, God used me to bring somebody else into heaven. But you know what it takes? It takes that first decision. It takes something that just clicks in your heart. You come to an end of the road and you just say, I am ashamed of being ashamed. And I'm done with that. It's time for me to speak up and stand up for the Lord. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We're just going to have a brief time of invitation. We're right on schedule. We're not going to make you late to anything. But it's important that we take what we've heard and do something about it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.